Good morning, saints. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer as we get started. Father, thank you so much for your word and um, how it's living and active and pierces to the heart. We pray, Father, that in these moments we would open our hearts to the voice and the working of your Holy Spirit and that we would be moved forward in our faith. Use this for your glory, and we pray for a rich anointing on our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I want to start by saying that Billy Graham said that his philosophy of preaching was to say the same thing. He actually said, I preach the same sermon hundreds and hundreds of times, just I try to give it a little different angle each time, but his message was that we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My philosophy of preaching is that um, I should share with you whatever God is showing me or teaching me with the belief that there will be a good number of you to whom the Holy Spirit is saying the same thing. And as far as today's message, I was sure that I was on the right track when the elders prayed for me this morning. There were a couple of prophetic words. Gordon said that I had, uh, or through Gordon, the Lord said that I had heard his voice and that, um, that it was a message for me as well as for you, which is absolutely true, and you'll see that as I go on. Jim uh, also had a word. He, He compared us all, those of us who preach, to a stained glass window, and he thanked God as he laid his hands upon me for this particular pain. And... I I listened carefully to see if there were some chuckles in the circle, and sure enough, Bill and Bruce were stifling laughter. And we all know that laughter, merriment, doeth good like a medicine. So what I want to bring to you today is the fact that God has been speaking of my need for a pure heart, that good behavior and accumulated wisdom and even a clear sense of mission is not enough for me, that he still wants my heart, and my heart is not pure. So God has been speaking to me of my need for a pure heart and also the need for daily repentance. So let me tell you about four ways, four encounters that he gave me over the last six weeks that have been telling me this. The first one I want to tell you about is with my mother. She lives up in Montana with my dad. My dad's 95 and my mom's 93. And my mom has significant dementia. She's very tiny. And... um, but she, she's cognizant enough to know that, um, that she's losing her mind. So when you ask her, how are you doing, Mom? She says, well, 
you know I'm losing my mind. Um, and then she will maybe forget who I am and, and say to dad, who is this man here? And things like that. So that kind of lets you know the level of where she's at. Well, when I go there, I stay with them and I sleep on a little sleeper sofa that's about this wide. And it, of course, it, it folds out into a decent sized bed, but it's not very comfortable. Um, springs are poking up here and there, but it's adequate. And uh, so we're watching the Super Bowl. And mom and I are sitting on that couch, and I'm holding her hand, and I'm wondering, you know, she's quiet, and I'm wondering where her mind is. And all of a sudden she says, Jim, are, are you sleeping here? Uh, going this direction, you know, on this four foot, five foot at most sleeper sofa. And I said, yeah, mom, I, I am sleeping here, but it folds out, and so... You know, I'm not cramped, I'm comfortable, and Dad's given me blankets, and I'm really, really happy. And she says, oh, oh. Um, but she says, well, would, you might want to sleep in there. And she points into the bathroom. And then she says, you know, I say, well, Mom, that's the bathroom. Oh, well, how about up there? And there is no up there. I mean, it's, there's no upstairs. And uh, it takes me about five minutes to work her through, you know, that everything's okay. And my main job up there is to tell her that God loves her and we love her and it's okay. Um, she's safe. And um, so we continue to hold hands and a few minutes go by and, and then she says, Jim, are, are you sleeping right here? And... This proceeds through the whole Super Bowl. I know you can picture it. Um, many of you have dementia yourselves. No, many of you have folks in this situation. But I, I was just awestruck with the purity of my mom's heart. Um, I hope that she has professed, professed Christ in the past. I think she has, but... At this point in her life, she's not a proclaiming Christian, but um, I was just almost put to shame by the purity of her heart. Here she is losing her faculties, and yet she's concerned about me, and uh, that sort of broke my heart. And then uh, the next thing that happened is I have been continuing to read this book. John Taylor says I always bring a book, so I thought I'd bring a book. And um, this author is Emerson Egerich, and he is talking in this particular section that I want to share with you about how pornography has become ubiquitous. That it used to be that when the internet first came out, you had to go searching on particular sites to find pornography, but now porn will come and find you, he says. Even when a person is not addicted to porn websites, exposure has mushroomed. Many people are no longer avoiding sexual temptation by virtue of their supposed tolerance of this form of entertainment on a yearly basis. And you know, we really lie to ourselves a lot. And uh, I, I can watch this, it won't affect me. Um, 
you know, just some of the movies on TV and so forth. He goes on to say, yes, we are bombarded, and it takes only a little exposure here and there on a regular basis to distract us in our walk with Christ and ignite the lust within. Do we wish to admit such vulnerability and that the Holy Spirit is leading us to be more Christ-focused? Each of us must know what is going on in our inner hearts and make a decision to do what we know is best for our relationship to God. And then he says this, the pure in heart shall see God. Of course, that's Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 8. And what I want to share with you is this, somehow reading it here instead of in the Bible, really impacted me that... Um, if I, I know that in the future, in, our, in eternity, we'll see Christ as believers. But the way it struck me this time was, if I want to see God in this life, I have to have a pure heart. Um, I, I can't just say, well, if my behavior is, is righteous, that's good enough. Um, and so that impacted me as well. Then I had next, so those were two events. Then the third one was I hit a wall in my care for my wife, Laura. Um, I hit a, you know, I, I just am constantly trying to find ways to ease her pain or suffering and, and uh, have been under the illusion that I'm pretty good at it, um, finding things to do. Um, but this particular time, a couple of weeks ago, I just crumbled emotionally because uh, I felt helpless. Actually, I felt hopeless. And I think hopelessness to me is very debilitating. And so I didn't know if I was having a crisis of faith or a spiritual panic attack or what. Um, so I came to elders meeting with my emotions just right there, and my good buddy Bill could see it right away. So after the elders meeting, he um, asked me or told me to come into his office, and, and he ministered to me, and um, I really heard the voice of the Lord through Bill, and Bill said, Jim, you've hit a wall as a caregiver, you, you've got a lot of education. You're, he actually said, you're, you're smart. I, I would like to read, you know, I remember it actually as you're brilliant, but no, that. <laughs> um, but you're smart, you're resourceful. Um, but God wants to take you beyond your self-sufficiency. And that had the ring of truth to it. I, I had missed his sermon a couple weeks before about um, that. And, of course, Laura had been telling me, you need to listen to Bill's sermon. And I hadn't gotten to it. But uh, I listened to it then. But anyway, self-sufficiency has been a, a problem in my heart by the way, what do you call a guy who's stuffed into a mailbox? Bill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
So when you get your mail now, you can say, hey, Bill. Uh, think of Bill and pray for him. But um, the last encounter that spoke to me along these lines was when John Thaler preached. Um, and John was talking about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And he said, um, you can't just say to the Holy Spirit, no, I'm good. And Joel and I were sitting down the row from each other, and we were laughing hysterically at that. But at the same time, I was getting convicted, you know, that, oh my gosh, is that what I've done? I've kind of put the, put the Holy Spirit on pause in my mind and settled for a spiritual self-sufficiency. I'm a person that likes to go and do. I wake up and I want to go and do, and it's the hardest thing for me to stop and pray and set my mind on God. Anybody else like that? You just want to go and do, and it's, it's, it's very difficult to force yourself to ground yourself in the Lord. Um, without clearly realizing, you guys, I had come to a place of sanctified self-sufficiency. I'd hit the pause button, kind of gone on automatic pilot, kind of unconsciously deciding good behavior and a crude wisdom and a clear sense of mission was good enough. And just let me loose, Lord, just let me loose. Zealous for good deeds, um, but not waiting upon the Lord about my heart. Well, you know what happens when you get focused on other things instead of the Lord and letting him deal with you. First thing that happens is prayer kind of starts falling away. And then there's these darn little foxes that are running around everywhere. And... Um, then uh, impure thoughts and attitudes enter the mind, and pretty soon sinful behavior is crouching at the door. So I'm here to tell you this morning what God has been telling me. It's a simple and yet very profound truth, and that is that good behavior is not enough, but God remains always after our hearts. And he is relentless and jealous, and he will have what he wants. So even if we think we're taking a break, he's not taking a break. And he will bring that gentle, sweet conviction, or he will bring a hammer, whatever he needs to do, because we belong to him, don't we? So uh, what did I do with the... Again, I was thinking of Barney Fife, Christianity is good enough. You know, nip it, nip it, nip it. I did this for Dave. I hope he's in the room. But um, here's what God is after. He's after a pure heart. He's after a whole heart. And he's after a heart that's on fire for him. Let's look at some scriptures about the human heart. First of all, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? You remember that powerful verse in 1 Samuel 16 where Samuel has been told by the Lord to 
go anoint a new king of Israel instead of Saul. And um, he's to he's to interview the children of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And he goes down and he starts interviewing the different sons. And uh, the first son is tall and strong looking. And, and God says to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. Uh, I also like Proverbs 4.23. I've always liked that verse. Uh, Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. What a powerful, powerful verse. Uh, But I want to focus in especially on... Can you advance it, John? I don't know if we lost a battery here or what. I'll keep going. I trust they'll get the slide up. But the fact is that true and genuine Christianity is is a matter of the heart. And in Matthew 5, 8, we read again, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And again, the key thought that I'm working on this morning is that if we want to see God in this life, go back one slide, uh, we must continue to pursue a pure heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have walked with the Lord here, say, over 40 years? Raise your hands high. 40 years. And keep them up. How many of you would agree with me that um, you, you, the Lord never stops working on your heart? It's just that the layers get deeper. Uh, Bruce, yeah, nobody's hand has gone down of those who have their hands up. Um, the layers just get deeper. Bruce was saying this morning that pornography is just kind of fluff, that it's the deeper things the pride, and I'll point out the self-sufficiency. Those things are much deeper and much more, well, pornography is awfully damaging, but, but I think self-sufficiency is the deeper sin. If I want to see God in my life, I must continue to pursue a pure heart. Well, what do I mean by seeing God? I mean apprehending the ways of God, hearing the voice of God in my life, seeing the power of God, being sustained by the grace of God, to know his felt nearness, to experience the free flow of joy and the fullness in the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus had a few words to describe people who were focused on behavior only. Pharisee, hypocrite, viper. Uh, He he did not have a kind view of people who were not self-aware of their spiritual, the spiritual state of their hearts. Let's look at Luke 11, 39 
through 44, Luke 11, 39 through 44. I'll read it to you. But the Lord, let's see, Luke eleven thirty nine said said this. Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within in love, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But those are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the front seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. The Pharisees at one point uh, confronted Jesus about his disciples not washing their hands before they ate. And he spoke words like these to them. But then even the disciples themselves wanted to further understand what Jesus was saying and why he would offend the Pharisees so. And he said to his disciples, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. So the Lord is interested in us. um, Actually, he's interested in himself purifying our hearts, helping us do what we can't do on our own. We just need to continually invite him in to do that work. David was said to be a man after God's own heart, and he was constantly crying out and pleading to God for a clean heart, wasn't he? In Psalm, most of us think of Psalm uh, 51, where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We are to pursue having a pure heart. Um, look at Philippians 4.8 on the screen. Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and so on. Think on these things. And then this word pursue, per- pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So again, if we want to see, we have a choice. If we want to see God moving 
in our lives, in this life, in the present, we have to remain concerned about our hearts and opening our hearts to the Lord on a daily basis. The Word of God says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So God wants a pure heart, but he also wants a whole heart. Um, He also wants a whole heart. You remember these scriptures, Jeremiah 29, 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? All of your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then the greatest commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul, mind and strength. One famous preacher said this, was the lack of a whole heart not the greatest problem of Israel throughout their history? In theory, they were monotheistic, but in practice, they were pantheistic, which means serving many gods, ever pandering to other gods. They worshiped the gods of sex, power, and pleasure, and I added this just as we do today. In the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, when a new king was established or described, the the plumb line of spiritual assessment or measurement was to what extent did that king have a whole heart? Uh, You might remember Amaziah. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. Or Ahaz, he, he, he did not do right in the sight of the Lord, but burned incense on the high places and under every green tree. And then the Samaritans, they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods, which they had brought back with them from the land to which they had been exiled. Maybe like me, you are aware of one or two high places in your heart. For me, I think it would be the lure, uh, the lure of of lust would be one high place in my heart. Another would be that self-sufficiency, that those times where I go into that mode and don't do the hard work of daily opening my heart to God. How we need the gift of repentance. How many of you would say amen? Amen. I'm already hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. How we need the gift of repentance. Because even though we want to tear down these high places in our hearts, I know you do, and yet our flesh is such that even if we throw water on them, they somehow rekindle and start burning incense again. Um, And so we need to identify what are those high places in our hearts, and uh, we need to open our hearts to those, uh, you know, to God, to rescue and deal with those. Now I want to take you to Revelation 3, 17 through 22, and really drill down in this scripture Let's read it together, or not together, but let me read it to you. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy 
and have need of nothing, and you do not, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. When uh, sin enters in, or when we go into that automatic pilot mode, we lose the ability to spiritually uh, clearly see ourselves. Um, That's why this verse says you're blind. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now what I want you to notice here is that this first verse on the screen, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man, uh, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. We hear that verse over and over in regards to salvation, don't we? This, we use this typically in the evangelical world as a salvation verse. But this is not talking about salvation. What's the context? The context is the Spirit of God is speaking to a church. So these are believers, number one. That's the context. And then um, the verse about knocking at the door of our hearts is sandwiched in between a call to repentance and the vision of overcoming. Do you see that? And so Jesus is saying, let me into your heart so that I can help you overcome. Let me in so I can help you tear down these high places. Do you see that? Uh, That was new to me. Uh, Nobody showed that to me except, you know, the Holy Spirit. And yet I can't deny that that's the context. It's not salvation. Um, I had the privilege this weekend, we had our leaders retreat, and I was at the table with Jim Garrett and Gordon and Susie and uh, Steve and Steve Staub and the other elder, new elders had designed a question, a sheet of questions based on Philippians 4, 8. That's the verse about whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is right. And the questions were these. What encourages you to, quote, preserve the heart, unquote, and allow him to create a clean heart in you? And the second question was, the the cheap, the flippant, and the silly is all around us. How do you keep your mind on what is holy? What great questions. And so as we shared our answers with each other, Susie said, "Um, I need to set my mind in God every morning. She said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a long time, but I have to intentionally and consciously 
set my mind and my, she didn't say your will, but set her mind in God. Gordon does that as well, but he, he used a phrase that I really liked. He said, I constantly entertain his presence. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? I entertain his pre- presence. And so he'll, he'll be going along, and if, he, if he's tempted to sin, and he's, 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 he starts sharing that with the Lord, and then he goes, whoa, who am I talking to? I got, you know, and, and that really helps him just immediately back off from that temptation. So entertaining his presence. We've heard Jim say that he spends a couple hours in the morning in prayer and that he, um, before daylight, and how he just opens his heart to the Lord and he um, asks the Holy Spirit to do an audit, an audit of his heart. And, um, you know, people have different views about how someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pentecostals tend to see the the filling of the Holy Spirit is coming from, a, from outside, and evangelicals tend to see the filling of the Holy Spirit as a release from within. And, um, but Jim sees the filling of the Holy Spirit as opening my heart to God daily to make sure there's no obstruction, uh, no impediment to that flow of river of living water that's to come through uh, my spirit. Isn't that beautiful? So there's a funny story about um, a Pentecostal and an evangelical uh, praying over a man who wanting to receive the fullness of the spirit. And the Pentecostal is saying, hang on, brother, hang on. And the evangelical is saying, let go, brother, let go. And Jim is saying, just open your heart to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, and he will indeed fill you. Um, But I want to be brutally honest with you that this idea of taking a lot of time to examine my heart before the Lord each day has not been an attractive concept to me over the years. I've kind of chalked it up to mysticism or um, a sort of a perfectionist personality. It's just like, I don't need to do all that. I got to go and I got to do, I got things, things to do. Um, but one thing I like to do is, uh, is collect greeting cards and give them to people. And um, here's one that could go with Jim or Gordon or any of you who really do a good job at overachieving. Because really, I've I've seen this discipline almost as for the overachievers, you know? And uh, so this card says, why don't you stop overachieving, overachieving and settle into the warm embrace of mediocrity like the rest of us? So I guess I'm join I guess I'm joining the elite or the overachievers uh, today. And while we're at it, I have a second card that I really like for those of you on the keto diet. You know, on the keto diet, you can eat tons of bacon. I think somebody already mentioned bacon in the service. 
But this one says, I eat bacon every day, sometimes three times a day. It's delicious. And it helps me keep my mind off those weird chest pains I keep having. <laughs> In the 12-step tradition, uh, you know, AA and NA, and, um, there's a lot of wisdom based on Scripture. And one of them says um, that recovery requires a psychic change based on a spiritual experience. Isn't that what we believe? That an encounter with God changes us fundamentally. Um, They also say, there's another saying, we have but a daily reprieve from our sickness based on our spiritual condition. A daily reprieve. And I've been thinking lately how in the Bible our faith is is a daily faith. If I say I'm never going to lust again, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. I'm scared that, that, that that will not be true. But if I take one day at a time, like the recovery movement says, I have hope. I can open my heart every day to the Lord and find that overcoming victory. Um, yeah, one last saying I really like is before they leave, AA people will sometimes say, Remember, your next drink is out in the parking lot doing push ups very much like sin is crouching at the door. So we need to watch over our hearts. Um, The last point is that God is looking for a heart on fire. And this is also from the Revelation verse. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Well, what is a heart on fire? To me, I thought of these components. It's a resolute heart. It's a resolute heart. We'll define that in a minute. It's a zealous heart. It's a heart filled with the love of God. It's a heart that must, must speak about God. And it's a consecrated heart. So let's take each one of these quickly in turn. A heart on fire is is a resolute heart. Now, when I think of resolute, I think of someone, it means someone who has made a firm decision and is not going to be deterred from that that decision. So think of Jesus. Uh, He's in the temple as a little 12-year-old boy, and his parents freak out and come back and get him and maybe upbraiding him or chastising him or at least asking, "Why, why did you do this to us? And Jesus said, what? Uh, Did you not know I must be about my father's business? And then as a full-grown man, when he's going to face the cross, the scriptures say that he set his face like flint for Jerusalem. uh, In a previous message, I showed you this list. Uh, sometimes, because I just tend to just launch into the day, uh, 
I made up a little sheet to remind me of, my, of who I am and what my job is. And you see there uh, a statement of identity and a list of each morning the kind of attitude that I need to have. If you want me to produce this for you so that you can hang it on a mirror or on the dash of your car or have in your Bible, just um, let me know. Um, and I will produce that for you through Debbie. Actually, Debbie will produce it. But <laughs> um, A heart on fire is a resolute heart. And then a zealous heart. I love this verse, Titus 2.14. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a special people zealous for good deeds. Good deeds, you know, to be zealous for good deeds is not to cave into the social gospel. It's both and. It's both salvation and it's waking up in the morning. Who can I bless today? Who, what can I do for someone um, I have a fun illustration of a zealous heart. I'd like to pick on James Thorpe. James did some work for us a couple summers ago, and, and he was doing some really hard, heavy work. And, uh, you know, he was all bulked up, and, and then it started to rain, and rain pretty hard, and, and yet he had this huge smile on his face. And uh, he, said, he said, Jim... This is so great. He said, I get, I, I, I get a good workout, and I'm getting paid money, and I'm getting a shower at the same time. <laughs> so he had this attitude of uh, making the most of the time. Here's a little thing that I've done to help myself be more zealous, is I found this little Scrabble thing at a, a store, and I bought it and put it on the dash of my car. So when I get in the car, I don't just immediately flip on the music or listen to talk radio. I, I think of someone to pray for. And sometimes I never get to the radio because I'm just praying away. A heart on fire is a zealous heart. And then a heart on fire is also a loving heart. Um, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong. Down at the bottom there, if I have all faith, knowledge, mysteries, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. In the clinical world recently, well, the last several years, um, the clinical world has been very sensitive about trauma and how trauma impacts people even long after the trauma has occurred. And um, so things like physical abuse and mental abuse and sexual abuse have been well studied. But, but one of the things that is, is newer on the block is studying the abuse of neglect. Some kids, are grow, some kids grow up just kinda pushed out the door and uh, I had one client who was just, he and his sister were just pushed out the door in in, in rural Texas for the day. The mom would lock the door and, and they just played and tried to find water and that was their day. And that affects you. Um, 
I read a book that said that somebody who's abused physically or emotionally or sexually, the message to them is you are broken or uh, worthless or damaged goods. But to the person who's been neglected, the, the message is you, you do not matter and you are invisible. And so one of the most loving things a person can do, whether you have a history of neglect or not, is to take that person's face in your hands and look them genuinely and deeply in the eye and say, you matter. I see you. I see you. And you matter. It's a very powerful thing. Love. A heart on fire is a heart filled with love. And then, oh, I wanted to say one more thing about that. Um, it's a little debatable whether Laura, my Laura, was neglected, but there was some of that. And Sabina Wormbrand, when they were here, what, 20 years ago, honey, 25, took her face, Sabina took Laura's face in her hands like that. And um, it touched her, you know, just talked to her. It just touched her so deeply and was so healing, so love. And then a heart on fire is also a, uh, a heart that must speak of the Lord. Here's a beautiful verse from Jeremiah. If I say I will not remember him or speak in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shot up in my bones. Anybody have that experience where you want to witness but you don't or you're holding back and then that, that sense of uh, it's a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. It doesn't seem like I can preach a message anymore without 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may declare the excellencies of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One last quote, Winston Churchill, you might remember, said this, a fanatic is one who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. A heart on fire must speak out for God. And then the last one of these is a heart on fire is a consecrated heart. Consecrated means um, dedicated for a divine purpose. Something that is set aside or dedicated for a divine purpose. And this is a beautiful verse, Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. One last illustration, and then we'll have a time of prayer. Um, one sermon a couple years ago, maybe Jim mentioned that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not like a, a pond that has accumulated over time, a pond of water. 
being filled with the Holy Spirit means being a channel of fresh water every day, filled every day. And that really caught my attention, made me think of, you guys know that I'm from Minnesota and grew up going on canoe trips in, in Canada and where you go out from lake to lake for a couple weeks and there's no roads, no planes, no bathrooms, no stoves, no anything. And uh, one of the beauties of that is that the water is fresh and clean and pure and you can drink it right out of the lake. You don't have to even go down deep. You can just drink it right off the surface and there's no threat of sickness uh, even to this day in our world. That's pretty amazing. But every once in a while, we would paddle into a place where there were beavers. And guess what? That water was still, it was putrid, and we knew that it would have giardia, which is uh, you know, a, a bacteria, I think, that you can't, you get very, very sick from it. Uh, my son, Nate, on his... Um, trip across Canada kayaking, he, con he contracted Giardia and he was sick for a long time. Uh, so how many of you want to be that uh, river where that river is flowing out of you and it's fresh water? It's the Spirit of God. It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to be that stagnant pond uh, trying to accumulate, you know, trying to uh, live life sort of as a uh, sort of as a in sanctified self-sufficiency. So I want to have a prayer for any who want to pray with me uh, a prayer of repentance. So if you'd bow your head, let me ask you some questions first, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. How is your heart? None of us is perfect. Nevertheless, do you want to see God in this life? If you do, God still and always requires the pursuit of a pure heart. Are there some high places in your heart that you can't defeat on your own? And like me, you want to open your heart daily from now on, to let him be the overcomer, him be the savior. It not be about willpower or pride in my own strength, but it'll be about my dependence upon my savior, one day at a time. Or maybe you just want your heart more on fire for the glory of God a heart sprinkled clean. At the Last Supper, Jesus said to Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. And I imagine that Peter jumped up out of his chair, and we know he cried out, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. If you would like to signal to God that you want fresh start, you want repentance, you want, your, your need is the same as mine, which is to plead with him for a pure heart. Why don't you go ahead and stand?
Uh, if you don't choose to stand, no one will judge that. But if you know this message has been for you, why don't you stand and pray with me? So, Father, we come to you this morning with a desire to humble ourselves and to admit that our hearts are not pure and that we maybe have walked in self-sufficiency or pride or anger or entitlement or pursuing comfort and pleasure instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. And so, Father, we want to just ask your forgiveness first, ask you for the gift of deep repentance. We admit that we cannot change our hearts, that we need you. And so we open our hearts to you, Lord, afresh. Um, we ask you to come in and to clean us up from the inside out. We ask you to tear down the high places, help us to identify them, and, that, and to have a resolute heart that each morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk in daily openness and repentance before you. Uh, like Brother Gordon, we pray that we would entertain your presence throughout the day, but also, like Susie, we would set our hearts and minds in God each morning. We ask you to renew in us a clean heart, Lord, and that our hearts would not be a pond, but would be that fresh water flowing out of our bellies, full of the Holy Spirit, your nearness and power and grace and wisdom. So we ask for a pure heart this morning, Lord. We ask for a whole heart, and we ask for a heart on fire for you. And we just thank you, Lord, that you love those, you discipline those that you love. Thank you that if, if, if we're faithless, you're faithful. And you never, never give up on us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>